Hello and welcome to episode 103 of the NFL Scotland podcast. We've taken time out of the glorious sunshine to catch up on all the latest goings on with the NFL. My name is Cameron Hobbs. And my name is Paul Mitchell. We're continuing our lockdown podcast content with a number of things, including our thoughts and some of the highlights to come out of the 2020 schedule lists. We're also joined by a Scotsman who's been lucky enough to have the opportunity to commentate on the NFL for Amazon, as I caught up with fellow dandy Derek Ray. Although I'm not sure I can get on board with his NFL team of choice. Anyway, here's what he had to say. So we're absolutely delighted to be joined now by a Scotsman who has hit the international scene when it comes to commentating. International commentator, multi-sport, please welcome Derek Ray. Hi, Derek. Hi, Cameron. Thank you for the invitation. Oh, thank you for coming on. So, Derek, we always start interviews with new guests by asking the same sort of five questions. So we're going to stick to that format and then we'll move into some of your background around commentating and getting into the NFL and things like that. But... How did you get into the NFL, first of all, yourself? I got into the NFL back in the 1980s while I was working for BBC Radio Scotland. And I have to credit my oldest friend in Aberdeen, Alan Thompson, who one day invited me to the house to watch the NFL. Now, I was a bit curious about the NFL. I'd never really watched a whole game. I had seen little clips, but he said, come on, it's playoff time. I've taped the game from last night. Why don't you just sit down with me and we'll watch it? And he had a sort of a rudimentary knowledge of the game. I knew nothing about the game at that point. This would be around the time when the Giants were in the ascendant, that very good Giants team of the mid-1980s, and also around the time of the drive, the famous drive by John Elway for the Denver Broncos against the Cleveland Browns. So we watched these games and I realized that I found it quite intriguing, the tactical side of it. And I took it on from there because I've always been a radio listener in my younger days uh, in tandem with my German studies. I would listen to a lot of German radio, but I also realized and I'm probably not the first person from Scotland or from the UK to have done this in the 1980s. I realized that you could get the feed of Armed Forces Radio from Germany on a good night, on a clear night. And so I started listening and I actually found when I would drive from Aberdeen to Glasgow, which I did quite a lot in those days, I could get it in my car on a Sunday night UK time. So it sort of, you know, spawned from there and I began becoming ever more interested. I was really sort of quite obsessed with it towards the late 1980s and uh, would listen as much as I could, would watch as much as I could, And then, of course, I moved to the USA in 1991. The irony is, by the time I moved to this country, to the Boston area, and I'm talking to you from the Boston area right now, um, I had to put the focus on the round ball because that was my bread and butter. So uh, funnily enough, living here in the USA, I had less time to devote to the NFL than I had previously (laughs) the two or three years living in Glasgow. But that's a long story, but hopefully it sums it up. Yeah, absolutely. So what about American football then was the biggest draw? Obviously, you talked about things like the drive and, you know, these are iconic plays um, of the time. But what about American football as a whole was it that really made you sit up and pay attention? Oh, it was colourful. It was glitzy. It was different. It was just something brand new. And I like the, the dynamic of it. I think it also went hand in hand with the discovery for me of the USA, because I have to admit, in my younger days, I was much more interested in European countries than I was 
in the other side of the Atlantic. That came later for me. And again, the irony is I've spent most of my adult life here in the USA. But earlier on, it was more Germany. It was France. Um, but I think just this discovery of America and things American uh, and the NFL seemed to me to, to be, you know, American sports summed up um, in comparison with European sports. And baseball became sort of part of my life a little bit as well. In fact, if anything, I, I probably watched more baseball uh, in the, the late 80s than I did NFL. And when I moved here to the USA, likewise, it helps when you've got Fenway Park on your, <laughs> on your back um, But that's another story. So, um, so really, it, it was to do with, with the differences and the, you know, the sounds of the crowd were different and you know, the tactics were different. But I saw some similarities with the sport I grew up with as well. And obviously being based in Boston, I might be able to hazard a second guess at this next one, but is there a particular team that you have an affinity to? Well, as an adopted Bostonian and as somebody who's married to a Bostonian and therefore into a, a family of Bostonians, you, 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 can, you, know, you can expect that the answer would be the Patriots. But what I have to say about that is when I first started going to watch the Patriots, and I did back around 1991, 92, when I first moved to the Boston area, they were pathetic. I mean, they were sort of the laughing stock of the league. They, they couldn't get wins. Uh, nobody took them particularly seriously. This was the old Foxborough Stadium, which was wide open to the elements. And if you went there on a rainy day or on a snowy day, then, uh, uh, you know, you had to prepare to, to probably be not very well for, for a week or so afterwards. It, it was a bit wild. But, um, yeah, obviously the Patriots. And the funny thing is, as they've got more successful, and I was living away from here, I was back in the UK for a decade, um, you know, right around the time when they were the team with a target on their back, so to speak. Um, I, I've probably found myself being less a follower because my natural inclination is not to follow a team that, that is successful. Um, figure that one out, but, but that, that's just the way I am. So I, I, the Patriots, yes, I've always taken an interest in. Uh, from the other side of the divide, if you like, from the NFC, it's tended to be more the Minnesota Vikings the team that I've always had a little soft spot for. And again, that goes back to the fact that in the 80s, when I first started taking an interest, they were an up-and-coming team. They didn't quite get over the hump. They came very close. And I have friends from Minnesota. It's a delightful state. So, you know, why not the Vikings as well? Absolutely. And what a cracking stadium they've got now as well. An excuse to go out there just to visit that um, as much as anything else, you know, it's great seeing obviously the stadiums and things like that. Um, you know, obviously the 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 amount of new stadiums in play. How does that appeal to a, a massive sports fan like yourself? Yeah, well, I mean, it's come a long way, and you know, I was lucky enough to go to a lot of these older venues through my football work. You know, yeah. as a commentator, but also as somebody who worked for the organizing committee of the World Cup ahead of 1994 and during 1994. And a lot of these venues were, of course, NFL venues. We had one um, here in Boston, in Foxborough, which I mentioned earlier on. I was the press officer down there. And then, of course, it moved to Gillette Stadium and you know, just next door, but a world of difference there. And the same everywhere. I mean, these are state-of-the-art venues. And it's fun to, to, to get inside and to actually see uh, what they're all about inside. I had a wonderful experience a couple of years ago. I was down in Houston working um, one of the, the pre-season matches, if you like, pre-season, but the, 
um, you know, they're, they're given fancy names now. I'm talking about football rather than American football. Mm. And um, Jamie Roots, who's the, the president of the Houston Texans, is somebody who I, I, I've known for a while because he used to work in Major League Soccer with the Columbus crew. And after the game, he said to me, he said, have you ever been inside the um, the inner sanctum? And I said, no. He said, he said, come on, I'll give you a tour. So I got this tour from the president of the Houston Texans. And it, it also included going up into the, the owner's suite uh, after the game to watch how they take in a game. So, yeah, I've been very lucky to, to see a few of these things, and, and it is fascinating. Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, so before we get into a little bit about your background and you know the journey that you've been on, the one question that we always ask to round off the intro five is, if you could have played yourself, what position do you think you would have played? Um, wide receiver. <laughs> <laughs> and I say that because um, when I was younger and, and first taking an interest in it, I, I used to think the wide receiver has all the fun. The wide receiver is the one who is trying to seek out, you know, freedom for himself. And, and just that, that moment when you know, he and the, the quarterback are, are completely in tune and being able to, to celebrate in the end zone the way they do. Um, yeah, so, you know, quarterback, you know, that's a bit too glamorous for somebody like me, but uh, wide receiver, why not? <laughs> Nothing wrong with a bit of glamour. Um, and speaking of, you've had quite the glamorous career when it comes to sports commentary. You know, we talked about this just before we came on air. The, the number of different channels and things like that that you've been able to work for is massively impressive. How did it start for you? How did you get into sports commentary in the first place? Well, this is in danger of being a very long story. I'll try to <laughs> abbreviate it. Um, I, from about the age of seven, became fascinated with commentary. 1974 World Cup, we got our first stereo cassette recorder in the house in Aberdeen. What's a stereo cassette recorder, younger people will be asking. Well, it was quite revolutionary at the time. It allowed us to record our voices on tape which we'd never done before. And I got my own small portable version of this. And I would go to the playground and I would just commentate to myself. And people thought I was a bit daft, but, you know, that's fine. Um, and then I bucked up the courage to do the same at Pataudry at reserve games. Uh, I was obviously living in Aberdeen, born and brought up in Aberdeen. And then from there to first team games. By this time, I was around 12 and David Francie was my great hero, the voice of Scottish football, and I still call him the voice of Scottish football. Many of my generation will do the same. And I wrote to David, and I heard back from him, much to my surprise. I'd sent him my fledgling tapes, got great advice. We stayed in touch for a number of years. I went to hospital radio in Aberdeen during the Fergie era, uh, broadcasting great European nights. So I, I got a lot of practical experience at a very young age, and, and most people would find that surprising, but it uh, was to serve me quite well. Then when I was 19 at university in Aberdeen, I sent another tape to David. And instead of just hanging on to the tape or writing back as he had done, he passed it along to his bosses at BBC Scotland. And out of the blue, I got this letter saying, um, could you come down to Glasgow sometime? We'd love to have a chat. So I did, and we had a chat. They said, we liked the tape. We're just not sure you know, when we could get you on air, but we'd love to try to do that sometime. Well, the chance came just a few weeks later because David, David Francie, my hero, had picked up a knee injury, couldn't do a Kilmarnock-Dumbarton game, and they didn't have another obvious replacement for that match. So I got the call, took the train from Aberdeen down to Glasgow, did the game with John Gregg the next day, thought it went well, hoped it went well, um, took the train back to Aberdeen. There was a message. Could you call Charles Runsey at the BBC? So I called Charles Runsey at the BBC. He said, yeah, 
Good job today. Um, how about for your second game? We've got England against Scotland coming up at Wembley this midweek. Are you up for it? <laughs> I was up for it. Um, so, so that was my second game on the air as a professional. And from that point on, it, it evolved. And I, I was actually offered a full-time job uh, a couple of months later. And I was with the BBC for five years. So it all happened sort of in a bit of a whirlwind. But when I think about it now, those 10 years as an amateur uh, were to be really important. I, I didn't think about it so much back then, but I'd actually been preparing myself um, throughout that time for the day if and when the big break came. And, and luckily for me, I got the big break. Um, and so many don't. So I, I was fortunate looking back. Yeah, and, and from there, you know, you've you've embraced the opportunity. You've you've been able to cover obviously a wide range of football. The your bilingual and and you know German knowledge means that you can contribute so much. Anyone that's following you on Twitter will see the the amount of Bundesliga information that you're giving at the moment is fascinating. With it being the only football that we've got available. Fast forward, though, you you get to the states and you end up working in MLS and things like that. But how does the opportunity come around then to do Thursday night football and move into the NFL? Well, I should probably tell you that you're right. I, I did MLS. I did the Champions League for many years. I was the main commentator on the Champions League for ESPN's coverage around the world. But we lost those rights in 2009. So for me, that meant it was sort of decision time. And ESPN was in the process of establishing itself in the UK. And I had the opportunity through ESPN to move back to the UK and commentate on Scottish football again, among other things. And it was great. And, and I was back for almost a decade. Um, ESPN and then BT Sport after ESPN UK discontinued the channel in the UK. So BT Sport, four years there. But around that time, 2017, we decided for a variety of reasons it was time to move back home. And home, of course, as I've said before, really is the Boston area because that's where I've lived most of my adult life. And we knew at some point we were going to, you know, come home. So it just seemed like a good time. And 2017, the summer of 2017, I got a call out of the blue just as I was trying to firm up a few new projects because, you know, I'm freelance. Uh, I'm looking for new, interesting things to do. And I had a couple of things lined up. The Bundesliga was one. But um, this call came from a colleague who I hadn't worked with for almost 20 years. And it does reinforce the point that it's a small world and, you know, always be nice to people and always be a good teammate because you never know when that person's going to come back to you with something that's exciting and interesting many years later. And the gist of the call was he was um, involved with Prime Video and their NFL project. And one of the things that they had thought about was providing an alternate commentary track. And that alternate commentary track would be, as it was put to me, a Champions League sound. Right, okay. They wanted it to sound like European football at the highest level. And they said, and they know you and they like you because they've heard you all these years on, on ESPN. And um, my partner, Tommy Smith, uh, Irish broadcaster with whom I, I worked on the Champions League, also based in the USA, they said, and, and Tommy, you know, like you, um, based on the east coast of the USA. That's kind of one of the things they want. They want, you know, top, as they saw it, broadcasters from from the UK or Ireland or with that kind of sound who are on the east coast of the USA. And, and you're the two that we think of immediately. So that's how it started. And I'll be honest, Cameron, when the offer was first put to me, I wasn't entirely sure. Mm. And the reason for that was I'd never done the NFL. 
obviously I've done football most of my life, uh, our traditional football. But having never broadcast the NFL, I thought, mm. you know, this could be, you know, really throwing myself into a, a frying pan of sorts. But the more I thought about it, and then when I spoke to, to my colleague Jeff again about it, um, what he said was, you know, I, I wouldn't worry about it so much because they are looking for something that sounds different. You know, it, it, it is going to be very much you and Tommy. It's going to be that old partnership. And, you know, after it sort of solidified in my mind, I thought, you know what? I want the stage of my life. I'm in my 50s now. I want the stage of my life to be all about new things and taking on new challenges. And the great thing, too, was it filled in a, a diary um, on a Thursday. You know, not a lot of other sports going on on a Thursday night. And so that's what we did. And um, the unfortunate part was I had to miss the first few weeks of that project because my wife and I were traveling in Europe. We were just finishing up our, our stint in the UK and we promised ourselves that we would go to all the places that we hadn't managed to go to during our, our years in the UK. So we were in Croatia, we were in Norway, we were in various other places. So I missed the first three weeks, but then stepped in for week four and that's what I've been doing ever since. It's, and I mean, it's fascinating. Like you say, it's so interesting to go into uh, something like that, a, a sport that, like you say, you hadn't done commentary on, but also, I guess in one way, really interesting to take your style over to it. But then obviously that presents its own challenges because you're doing something then completely unique for the first time, which means there's not necessarily a benchmark that you can go and listen to, to be like, right, okay, this is what I would do in this context, or this is what some of the greats do in this context. What was the biggest difference then that you had to do to, to take the style of sort of football, soccer, commentary, and adapt that into American football? Well, first of all, it's a good question. I went into it thinking that, yeah, they have hired me to be me. They have not hired an American commentator. They don't want me to sound like an American commentator. They want me to sound like the football commentator they know. So I, I tried to make sure that I didn't get too far away from, from that tried and tested style. Um, it became pretty apparent early on in this project that the audience that was visualized at the start of the project was not, in fact, the audience that we were talking to. Now, what do I mean by that? Well, I think when it came up, they thought this might be a way of getting UK fans, uh, you know, fans in the UK more interested in the NFL. Well, you know, maybe it's done that, maybe it hasn't. But what they learned is that the majority of people who were watching, listening, to our feed as opposed to the US feed from whether it was CBS or NBC that year, because it depended who had the rights to the game. Um, the, the, the audience that was listening to us was predominantly an American audience. And it was an American audience that was attracted to the sound because perhaps they're football fans, perhaps they're Anglophiles, perhaps they just like something different. Um, mm. You know, there, there were many different reasons but what i found incredible was and you know social media social media can be very cruel yeah. the feedback was almost a hundred percent positive and the reason i think for that is that with prime video you have a choice so if you want to listen to cbs nbc it's fox nowadays with the package um you can do that if you want to listen to 
the Scottish, Irish, the Celtic feed, as we affectionately sometimes call it. You can do that if you want to listen to two very um, established uh, women broadcasters, Hannah Storm and Andrea Kramer. You can do that. So you have the choice with Prime Video. And I think it's very sensible and, and it is the way forward because not everybody wants to listen to the same thing. Uh, you know, we are not the definitive feed that you have to listen to. And um, so I, I've just been, you know, amazed, but, you know, really happy to see that the people who, who do choose to, to watch and listen to us obviously do so for a reason. But I, I sort of got sidetracked there. In terms of the actual techniques, I, I tried very hard to, to stick to what I know and what I do, which is identification, which is not over-talking, not trying to, um, to do it up too much, um, to using the vocabulary that is organic to me, while at the same time being true to NFL terminology. I remember there was a discussion about, you know, should we, should we change the terminology to, to make it more acceptable to a UK audience? I've never believed that we should do that, just as uh, with, you know, the other form of football, you shouldn't change the terminology there. There's an established terminology. In this case, it's American terminology, but it's an American sport. Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, it's fascinating to even think about the concept of that. Um, and a really interesting point that you touched on there as well, even within the UK, you know, we've got, when it comes to the Super Bowl, for example, you get coverage on Sky and you get coverage on BBC. And there will be people who will be Sky no matter what, and there'll be people who are sticking to the BBC no matter what. They do a very different style. And actually, I found myself over the years flipping between the two because sometimes you'll enjoy the sort of slightly higher banter side of the BBC versus... Sky, which has got much more serious and more analytical over the years. I guess it largely depends as well on the game that you're watching. Sometimes if it's a game that is not particularly interesting, the high-level banter is something that you can keep you going, especially when you get to 2 and 3 o'clock in the morning. Um, yeah. how, you know, you talked obviously about drawing in things on uh, your football commentary. Now, one of the things that you have to do when it comes to Champions League or anything like that, you're looking at two squads with a total of up to 36 possible players pretty much on the field at any point, given subs and what have you. How do you do that same thing? And how do you do the prep for 100 plus players who could potentially appear on that park? Well, I must admit at the start, I, I probably spent, you know, far too many hours on that and, and didn't sleep enough because, you know, I, I fretted over that a bit because I thought, OK, you know, we're now talking about many more players in comparison with what I'm used to. I realized fairly early on that you can prioritize and it's not really worth spending, you know, 25 minutes looking at the background of the reserve center. You know, yeah. <laughs> um, you, you, can, you can do a sort of a, a basic um, uh, amount of research on, on him. The quarterback, the skill positions, uh, you know, the main characters on offense and on defense. Absolutely. You know, that's where you spend a lot of your time. Um, what I would say is that the NFL is probably the best league in the world for actually coming up with statistics. In fact, the problem is there are too many statistics and it's, it's a matter of sorting through the ones that are usable on the air and the ones that quite simply you are never going to use. They are so obscure. Uh, but there's plenty of reading material. And, and that is the great thing is that you, you could spend all your time reading, imbibing, memorizing. Um, so what I've actually found is that the preparation is not unlike that what I do for our football. It's um, really just a case of writing things down. Uh, and of course, you have a week to, to get ready. The Prime Video guys are brilliant too. They send us a daily compendium of news articles from the two markets, from the two cities. So my routine is 
as soon as one game is finished, then I'm, you know, on the iPad looking at news articles for the next week and going back in time, looking at some of those news articles. And it's amazing how much you can pick up in a short space of time just through doing that and also just by listening to, to news conferences. Uh, and as I said, there is so much information. Uh, you know, the NFL, covering the NFL, you are spoiled for choice when it comes to that. Yeah. Um, off the games that you've covered... Is there one in particular that stands out as being one of the most enjoyable? Um, one of the I'm trying to remember the sequence of of um, of games. Um, there was one the the start of when would it be? It would be not this past season, but the season before. There was a, a real what I thought was a real classic between the Rams and the Vikings, which went the Rams' way in the end. And it was just kind of, you know, back and forth, one touchdown for one team, one for another. Um, you know, so that probably would, would go down as, as the one that was most memorable. We've had some great games in the last two years. First year or two, it was a bit more hit and miss in terms of, you know, whether it was a, a blowout or whether it was a, a really great game. Um, we had the, the much talked about, let's say, uh, Pittsburgh-Cleveland game last year. And... Um, now, that was talked about for all the wrong reasons. <laughs> but it, it was a cha- I have to say it was a broadcasting challenge, and I'm glad I had that challenge because that was something that I never, you know, would have thought that you would commentate on in the NFL. You certainly don't see every day what happened at the end of that game and, and all the nonsense. Um, so that kept me on my toes. Um, so, yeah, I mean, the last year or so, uh, we've been spoiled. We really have been in terms of the, the quality of the games. Yeah, no, absolutely. That game in particular as well. We do three awards every week that we give away. People select. We, uh, always with a Scottish slant, we give our belter of the week, we give our Bowfin performance of the week, and we give our <laughs> ball bag award. You can imagine the ball bag award was uh, scattered throughout that Cleveland-Pittsburgh uh, game. <laughs> Plenty yep. of nominations from that one game. And, and you know what? Fascinating as well, but I would imagine the... The NFL perhaps not as used to seeing, well, I was going to say not as used to seeing moments of flare-up. You get them, but it's kind of like part and parcel. Such an extreme flare-up. I did having experience in doing football where, you know, a shocking red card tackle really stands out more in a game that's got so much violence that actually benefited you when you got something that was so extreme as, as the situation that happened at the end of that game. It might have, um, when I think back now, because, I mean, it it just seemed crazy at the time. You know, nothing, the game was going nowhere at that point. And and then this breaks out. And um, probably for both of us, because Tommy obviously has a background in in, in international football as well. And I think we, yeah, we just felt it was a bit like one of those crazy games at the end when uh, when a couple of players from each team get sent off. Again, it doesn't happen every day of the week, but can happen, and you are ready for it. And interestingly, we had a reporter in our uh, premises that night um, doing an article for The Athletic on this whole Amazon production. And, you know, she's somebody who covers the NFL, has done for, for a while. And, you know, she said, I have never seen anything like that, you know, and, and she wrote up the whole piece. And I was wondering, what, what's she going to write? Is she going to think we covered that well? And to my relief, she she thought we did. Ah, good stuff. So 
we're getting towards our uh, allocated time here, but before we do, one of the things we like to talk about a lot on this podcast is the the player that w- the players, the people that we like to listen to when it comes to NFL commentary and analysis. Who are the people that, if you're watching a game yourself on a Sunday afternoon, who are the who's the teams that you're like, oh, I really like the way that they do it. I like their style. I like the the detail that they give. You know, who who do you consider to be best in class? Well, I think there are so many good ones. And, you know, I grew up, well, didn't grow up, but I grew up in NFL terms in the 1980s, listening to people like Pat Summerall and, and John Madden uh, at that time on CBS, and then Jack Buck, the father of Joe Buck, on the radio. I think the the one voice who I've been listening to uh, all the way from the start, from the, the mid-80s through now, is Al Michaels on NBC, who is a consummate professional can do just about any sport. He hasn't done the sport that I'm most familiar with, but I, I dare say he probably could if asked. <laughs> and um, just has a, an iconic voice and delivery and seems to have a knack for saying the right thing at the right time. And of course, he works with Chris Collinsworth on a Sunday night here on the NBC games. So, you know, I would probably single him out. But I mean, my goodness, they all do a great job. They're all steeped in it. And I'm constantly in awe when I listen to them. How would you rate American football in the list? Because you've done not just football, you've done rugby and things like that as well. Where would you rank American football in the sort of list of challenging sports to commentate on? Well, I would say it's challenging, but at the same time, there is actually one comforting thing about it. And the comforting thing about it is that it is so structured so that, you know, in in my traditional sports uh, in, in football, um, you never know what's going to happen at any time. So you can't really take your eyes off the action. If you do, then you're likely to miss something. With the NFL, there's a certain rhythm to it. So there's a play and then there's a break and then your co-commentator does all the replays and that kind of lets you gear up for the next play. You know, So as the, as the play-by-play announcer, as we say here in the USA, lead commentator, as we, as we say in the UK, um, you do have that time and you're able to kind of get ready and you sort of reset and you, you know, remind yourself what down is it? What distance is it? How long to go? What's the timeout situation? And um, so you know, there are all these things that you bring to it. You do have the advantage in the US as well. You have a spotter and, and that is you know, true of every broadcaster from, from NBC to, to CBS to Fox to to ESPN, to, to Prime Video, you have a spotter next to you who is reminding you of all these little important things, you know, so he's got his little notepad and, you know, he's got circled timeouts, um, just a reminder what the down and distance situation is, because you can in your mind, you can sort of drift off for a second and you're thinking about, you know, a player who might, who you see has come in uh, on, a, on a third down situation or something like that. And um, so having that reinforcement is quite important. So, that tells you it's a different discipline because I've never had a spotter in football <laughs> and I would never really want a spotter in football. You know what I mean? It's very much DIY. But I think with, with the NFL, it does have to be more of a team effort. It can't just be you alone. It would be impossible to do it justice that way. Last question then to just wrap things up. The season ahead is obviously going to be an unusual one. You know, we've started to see sport come back. We touched on that in Germany. We're, we've been hearing murmurings of sport returning, whether it be the basketball or baseball. We're not sure what we're going to get, but hopefully by the time September comes around, we're going to get the NFL. What do you think the biggest changes this season are going to be given the summer of disruption that we've had? It's hard to say. I'm talking to you from Massachusetts, where we have had a difficult time with COVID-19. We've been consistently in the 
top three, never want to be in the top three in this situation, as far as cases, as far as deaths are concerned. And um, it's not going to be just snap your fingers and back to the life as we knew it. Now, obviously, there is a push to have pro sports come back here in the USA in some form. Um, I, again, talking as somebody in the Boston area, I cannot visualize uh, people going to Gillette Stadium, loading onto the train, as many people do, um, having their tailgates and the car park piling into the state. To me, it, it just seems unrealistic mm. uh, at the moment anyway. And I realize we're talking in, in late May and who's to say what will happen by the fall. But, um, you know, I, I, I know the NFL would like to have games and maybe the model is going to be something similar to what we're seeing currently in the Bundesliga in Germany, which obviously, as you've said earlier, is, is my great love and something I've been, been following and, and covering very closely. And um, the NFL, if it comes to that, will undoubtedly do a good job of, of simulating atmosphere. And um, at the moment, I would think it would be something like that. Uh, it may differ from city to city, from region to region, but we just do not know enough about this disease and we do not know how it's going to affect particular regions. So, you know, I'm naturally quite a cautious person when it comes to these things. So my answer is, is probably going to reflect that caution and say that, um, yeah, I hope that we do have some NFL to cover, but I think it's going to be under very different circumstances. Yes, indeed. And uh, if anything, you know, having a variety of commentary teams may well be something that we need more of to get people through this and give that option of audio and allow people to pick how they want to listen to the game, whether it be neutral or perhaps even more biased as we get closer to it. (laughs) But absolutely brilliant. Listen, Derek, thank you so much for joining us. It's been a pleasure speaking to you and hopefully we'll speak to you again at some point, perhaps near the season to get your thoughts ahead of the new year. Thanks very much, Cameron, and send my regards to Paul when you talk to him. Will do. Thank you. So, Paul, nice to catch up with Derek there and fascinating to hear about the, the work that he had to go through to, to adapt his style for the NFL, taking in actually being asked to do it like a European soccer thing. It, it, do you know, it's really interesting uh, touching on Amazon and what BT Sport have done with certain things, even all the coverage that we're getting off the English Football League. This is an opportunity to do things a little bit differently and try different things out. Yeah, I mean, I think to the traditional fan, uh, being asked to do it as a European-style soccer commentator will not appeal to some people, and that's fine. I think Derek knows that full well. He's been asked to do something just that little bit different, and with that something a little bit different, you can expand horizons. People might like that, so if you don't try something, you'll never know. I mean, as Derek says, you know, you, the basic building blocks of doing a commentary is the same. You prepare, you make sure you've got the knowledge, you've got everything to hand. All that doesn't change. You've just been asked to do it in a slightly different style. I think Amazon have also featured an all-women commentary team. You know, they've put out a couple of different variations as well. I mean, they're putting out things that I wouldn't listen to because I quite like, you know, the, the mainstream stuff. But if it appeals to other people and it brings other people closer to the game, it's worth a try. I mean, we saw it in Sky Sports uh, soccer, you know, with the, with the sort of two fans or the fan from each side, you know, you could watch them talking about the game as you watched it. I mean, you know, that left me blood running cold. It was so horrific. <laughs> um, hopefully that's coming across it just how bad it was. Uh, but I would argue Sky Sports were right to try it. Yeah, absolutely. And this is the thing. I don't think it's... 
shouldn't be punished for giving something a try, for sure. And obviously, the fact that Amazon have been doing it for a couple of years now is great. And the fact that, yeah, like you say, there's people who like things done in a traditional way, and you're probably always going to get the masses going to that. But for somebody that's maybe just, oh, I want to do something a little bit different here, you can go and do it and enjoy it. Variety is the spice of life, and it really is. But in today's world, we've got the benefit of streaming allows you to pick and choose. You know, it's quite often, and I've seen you tweet this yourself, put on the telly pictures and pop on the radio. You know, don't necessarily have to make do with the television commentary because actually you can kind of mix and match things as you go along. So it's great to see option there. Long may it continue. And you never know, Paul, you and me might end up on a channel sometime, somewhere. Who knows? Well, I have to say, if Amazon were actually serious about it, we'd be odd from week one. But, you know, that, that's that's just laying it down there to, to Amazon. It, boys, if you're brave enough... You know, I'm not saying that you're you're wimping away from the challenge, but if Amazon are up for it, why not? We'll, we'll look after things. I think the Booger Mobile's going free, so uh, I bag say that one. Um. Oh, do you want the upstairs when I'm driving it, or? <laughs> Yeah, uh, I've seen your driving. I think I'll, uh, I'll just park it on the side. Right. Um, now, one of the things that we didn't do, because there's been so much going on, we've had some cracking interviews, which has been great. But the schedule came out. Um, and obviously, there's still questions up in the air about how sport's going to return. But positive signs are there. Uh, and hopefully, by the time we get around to September, we will have NFL football back. Whether fans will be in the stadium, that remains to be seen. But hopefully, we will be able to see some action. The schedule came out then, and it all kicks off with the Texans at the Chiefs, which is a fascinating game, which, of course, we saw not that long ago as the Chiefs made their way through the playoffs. Um, so th that was the divisionals. Um, the Texans, of course, going out in front, and everyone went, whoa, and then they got destroyed. Um, but what, for you, were the sort of games and the weeks that really stuck out? You know, Cameron, I'm trying not to look much past week one and two because I think that sets the tone you start to look for certain games to set the tone I think you've mentioned it there Texans Chiefs sets the tone now to me it's a free hit for the Texans because you know opening up to the Super Bowl champs you're always on a hiding to nothing I think it's a free hit and I think they should come up with a really creative game plan and try and stretch them as much as you can Games, and, and this is this is what I mean about weeks one and two, there are games on the schedule that wouldn't have interested me this time last year, but they interest me now. So, for example, the Dolphins at Patriots. Yep. Twelve months ago, snooze fest. Who particularly cares? Now, I'll tell you what, this will be a good game because Ryan Fitzpatrick might go into that game as the best quarterback in the game. And that's unusual. Brady's gone. <laughs> yeah. You know, does Tua start if he has a great preseason? That, to me, is is an absolutely fascinating game. And this is what I love about the sport. And this, we talk to so many people, and they tell us this. It's how things can flip and change. Brady leaves the Patriots. Tua goes to the Dolphins. All of a sudden, it's a different game altogether. I think Browns at Ravens is a fascinating one. Browns underperformed last year. Did the Ravens overperform? Are they that good? I think they are, by the way. That, to me, is another yardstick. Uh, Chargers against Bengals. Now, that might have to be played behind closed doors or they might let the seven people in that want to see it. I don't know. <laughs> now, um, I was... <laughs> so, uh, sorry, I must apologise to Bengals fans. That's cruel. I was going to say... It was, it was the best game I could get. They've just got an exciting new quarterback, so I think they get a pass on it this one time. Um, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> 
<laughs> yes. Anyway, you were continuing your other games because I know there's another one coming up you're going to highlight. Yeah, I mean, it it was a, it was a Sunday at one o'clock, throw it away in a corner, box at Saints, uh, routine home win, no longer. I mean, that that's going to be the big game on Fox, the 425, that'll be Buck and Aikman. And that should be a great game. I mean, you're looking at the debut. Buccaneers suddenly become relevant because they've got Tom Brady. Now, they've made some other good additions as well. Playing the Saints, is this the last dance for the Saints? Is this it for Drew Brees? To me, that that's a fascinating contest. The, I was a little bit disappointed with the choice of Sunday night game, and I've got the schedule in front of me with the logos. So uh, the Dallas Cowboys at the Los Angeles Trumps, <laughs> as I'm calling them, because that is the worst logo I have ever seen for a professional team. <laughs> what is it about? And you might you might answer this. What is it about the Monday night games that that seem to fail? to grab you but actually I think this year Steelers at Giants is an interesting one following that with the Titans who always go under the radar Broncos they've moved on from their quarterback I think there's a couple of really good Monday night games in there so yeah I, I would agree I think that they are not obvious stud matchups is probably the best way to describe it and I think that Monday night football often falls foul of that what, it, what Monday night football tries to do is get the the some of the matchups that could potentially be good on paper when it comes down to it but they're not naturally like Steelers at Giants the Steelers and the Giants for me is not any great history between the two sides as a competitive point of view the Titans and the Broncos exactly the same thing there's not a competitive edge there whereas you know you look at some of the other ones that are taking place that weekend and you've got so many divisional games for a start you know Eagles at Redskins that would have been a cracker on a Monday night football. Uh, Dolphins at Patriots um, is divisional. Packers at Vikings. Colts at Jags even. Bears at Lions. Jets at Bills. Browns at Ravens. Uh, Cardinals at 49ers. Bucks at Saints. You know, they're all divisional games. Um, the Cowboys-Rams one, I think it's interesting just because of... Well, I mean, it's the first game at the new LA Stadium. Um, and what a shame it will be if it's empty. But... Um, Oh, they it'll can be get like, used to it. Well, I was going to say, it'll, it'll be like a Chargers game. We'll be like, what's going on? <laughs> oh, man, we're going to lose some Chargers fans listening to us, I reckon. I, I um, have a soft spot for the Chargers. I do Go too. back to San Diego, please. Yes, I do too. Big fan. Um, but actually, that Chargers-Bengals one is obviously interesting because of the rookie quarterbacks. Will they, will they both start? Will Tyrod Taylor play at the Chargers? We now know because Andy Dalton's away from the Bengals. It is Joe Burrow's team. He will start week one. Be fascinating to see how he gets on. You know, the Chargers, from a defensive point of view, are actually decent. So he could have quite a torrid time for his debut in the NFL. So that will be very fascinating to watch. But I agree. I think it's a really solid, solid week one. Uh, and it sets the tone for so many reasons. And you're right, games like Dolphins at Patriots is suddenly fascinating. Packers at Vikings would have been anyway, but even more so because I just want to see how huffy uh, Aaron Rodgers actually is going to be. Bears-Lions <laughs> is interesting just because which one of those two is going to prop up the division this year? Um, you know, there's so many stories. Uh, and that's only week one. That's only week one. So, yes. Um, anything out of... That's week two then. Well, we look at week two. Week week two, I mean, Bengals and Browns. So you've got, you know, Burrow coming out 
um, against Mayfield. That could be a really good game to watch. Jags-Titans will set the tone, I think, in that division. You've then got another great divisional Panthers at Bucks. You know, it'll be Tom Brady's um, home debut. I mean, that, I mean, Tampa Bay are going to be the story this season. They are going to be a story, good, bad, or indifferent. They're going to be a big story. I think there's a couple of sneaky games um, on here. You know, the Chiefs at the Chargers. You know, the Chargers will that. You know, they're one of these sort of hot cold teams. That's an interesting one. Ravens Texans. Now, the strange one for me is the Sunday night football that week. Now, bearing in mind this has been chosen. Um, after Brady's left, Patriots at Seahawks strikes me as a slightly strange matchup because if the Patriots don't have their stuff together, the Seahawks could absolutely uh, slaughter them. And then you've got, you know, the Raiders' first game in their new stadium in Las Vegas, um, you know, Saints against the Raiders. So that'll be a good game. But, I, you know, I was having a look at the, the Monday night football and the Sunday night football schedule because the trick is for Sunday night football, if people don't know, you can flex out, I think it's three times. So your schedule is not set in stone. The Monday night football schedule is set in stone. So when you're starting to get to weeks 14, 15 and 16, you have got to hope that you have got a game that is worth something. So let, let me pitch you the last four games, Cameron, and, and see what you think. Because um, this is December football. Buffalo Bills at San Francisco 49ers. I think that's a sneaky good pick. Yep. Ravens at Browns. I'd be hard-pressed to think that neither of those two teams will be in it. I think the risk comes in week 15. Steelers at Bengals. And Bills at Patriots to end the season. That's the game on the 28th of December. Again, I, th I think there's there's a lot of risk in there if the Patriots aren't up for it. I understand it because the Bills could be the team that push in that one, but I, I don't know what your thoughts are on those last four. Yeah, no, I think that it's um, a, an interesting point. I think that they are yeah, you're right. And, and it's so important that you want to have relevance in these games to keep people tuning in, especially at that point of the season. So it's, yeah, Bills at Patriots becomes interesting because I guess if the Patriots can, uh, the only way it becomes interesting is if there's enough of a contest here that it's going down to the wire. That if yes. this is going down to the last couple of games, then actually this could be a, an absolute um, stick on uh, and it could be a brilliant pick to take for the, the sort of last Monday night game of the season. It's in between Christmas and New Year. So, you know, a lot of people will be off their work. People will be able to set up, certainly in the UK, and watch it, which will be great. But you're right. If this is if the Patriots have nothing to show this year and they're going to have a stinking season, then this will be a, a nothing game. Um, and, and, and that's where you get into the danger of people just tuning out. So, totally agree. I mean, you look at some of the other ones. I think I was looking there as at week three of the season has got is absolutely brilliant. Yeah, so Sunday night football, Packers at Saints, and then on the Monday night, Chiefs at Ravens. I mean, Chiefs at Ravens, that's absolutely oh. superb. That, that'll be so exciting if it's anything like the game last year. And again, it'll be exciting because this is these are two of the teams that, from the AFC, you've got to say, is the favourite for the championship matchup. I would be surprised to hear anyone else's name put down in the top two. So I think that's a brilliant week. Um and then, you know, you do have ups and downs with this. You always do. Like Falcons at Packers the week after. For me, uh, it's just not necessarily that exciting. Um, the Sunday night football, that throws Eagles at Niners, which could be interesting. 
Um, depends. It depends so much as well if the Niners are going to continue their form, if the, the Eagles are going to be more of a threat. Actually, it could completely flip. And you could find that the Eagles are the dominant one and the Niners have got nothing to show for it. Monday Night Football, though, it's funny to see the Saints there again um, in October as the Chargers play in New Orleans. So you're getting quite a fair bit of Monday Night Football for your money this year. Well, at least they've got rid of Booger. But I, I have to say that this has worked to get the Saints are in prime time quite a lot. Uh, be it, you know, the Sunday late game or the Monday night game. <sighs> Selfishly, that annoys me because I want to watch the Saints yeah. play and I simply can't stay up through the night to, to watch these things, uh, w- which is a pain, but that's that's just the way it goes. Okay, I can get it on catch-up, etc. Uh, but the biggest change for me is the primetime introduction of uh, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. I mean, they were not a primetime team. Uh, by any stretch of the imagination, were they a primetime team last year? And all of a sudden, you know, they are of interest uh, to people. You know, you've got the Bucks at the Raiders on Sunday night football. You've got the Saints at the Bucks on Sunday night football. You go to Monday night football, you've got the Rams at the Bucks, and you've got the Bucks at the Giants uh, as as well. So, you know, there's a lot of primetime stuff for them as well. But that's the storyline. That's what you get in the NFL. People want the stories. They want the stars. And that's what they're going to get. And you, you, you mentioned what's going to be the most important game. Well, jingle bell. Santa has delivered the Saints play on Christmas Day. <laughs> now, um, as, you, I, as you know, you know I'm a, I'm a big Christmas guy. I love Christmas. love all that's around it and, and all the traditions around that. Um, I, I'm slightly uneasy at people having to work on Christmas Day. But I do get the tradition thing. And, you know, you only have to work at it once in a blue moon. So I get that as well. Um, but I think it's a 9.30 start over here. Kick back, relax. Um, the good lady will hopefully be sleeping by that point. <laughs> and uh, I, I can kick back and relax and watch the Vikings against the Saints and just wait for the sweepstake of when they, they mention the walk-off. <laughs> I am... Um... Yes, I normally, normally by half past nine on Christmas, I'm asleep, uh, I'll be honest, and it's not through tiredness, it's usually through copious amounts of whiskey, so I'm going to have to challenge myself this year um, to, to try and stay awake so that I can watch this, um, that'll be interesting, but yeah, I, you know what, a, a Christmas Day game is always quite exciting, I, I totally agree with you, it's a shame for anybody to work Christmas, although having the fact that I work with a lot of Americans, they really don't mind, I don't think. Thanksgiving's their big party and that's what they care about so they can have Thanksgiving we'll have Christmas thanks very much Um, we get to benefit because we get to sit and watch their Thanksgiving football as well and speaking of I'm just trying to have a look and see exactly what those games are this year as well we did touch on it when it came out so Texans at Lions of course the Lions traditionally always have that first game could be an interesting game but depending on how the Texans bounce back giving away um DeAndre Hopkins, you know, are they really going to be as much of a threat this year against the Lions team that have been disappointing for so long? Game two is the Redskins at the Cowboys. I'm not sure this is going to be a big year for the Redskins. I could be wrong, but not 100% sure. The Cowboys, however, could be a good year for them. The last one as well, Ravens at Steelers. Not sure that the Steelers are going to be all that competitive this year either. But time will tell. You never know. Could be proven wrong. They're not quite as exciting, though, those three, as I normally get about the Thanksgiving games. Yeah, but I mean, to be fair, I mean, the, the Redskins and the Cowboys hate each other and the Ravens and the Steelers hate each other. So that that works for me. Yes, nothing says Thanksgiving more than a bit of hatred. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yep. In, a, in, a, in a nice Thanksgiving sense, you know, <laughs> here's a turkey leg. You enjoy that. And I'm going to slap you about the head as we try and get a running back through there. Absolutely. Perfect. Absolutely. Perfect. 
So um, we will, of course, talk more about this in detail as we get closer to the season, but definitely wanted to touch on that. Um, there's been so much going on. There's not been anything going on, but there's been a lot going on at the same time. We've obviously been talking about the draft. We've had some, those great interviews. Uh, nice to be able to sit down and look ahead and just hope that we've got football come September. That's the most important thing. Any other news I'm- items, though? Well, well, you make a great point because, you, you know, I'm a massive baseball fan and baseball's struggling. They're struggling to come up with an agreement to get back. And I think that would be a horrendous mistake. They're arguing about money and salaries. And I know there's a lot going on with uh, minor league players and major league players not wanting to take massive cuts. I think they will take some form of cut, but certainly not as steep as what's being suggested. But not to have a baseball season, I think, would be absolutely horrible. Um, I think they're missing a big chance to get in there. And that might just, again, clear the way for the NFL. I mean, it is the most popular sport, but I don't think baseball can afford to drop out of sight for a season. So it's fascinating. I, I don't know that much about the baseball situation, I'll be honest. But, you know, just Googling it, you can see there's so many different stories coming at this. There's clearly about as much clarity around MLB as there is about the SPFL, if we're looking to draw a comparison, in the sense that it seems to be that everybody's wanting a different thing here. So yes. CBS reporting that some MLB owners perfectly willing to cancel the 2020 season to save money. Uh, and that's a really interesting take and one that we're facing into very similarly when it comes to Scottish sport as well. So, yeah, it would be a real shame. I uh, think that, you know, it, this time of year is traditionally baseball for me. It definitely reminds me of the summer. It's one of the few sports that's on uh, and it's usually the time that I sort of tend to dial in, have it on in the background, sit in the garden with a beer, tablet and just sit and watch some baseball and relax. It's a very, it's a great background sport, the baseball. You don't really need to be too, uh, you, you don't need to be 100% engaged 100% of the time with it, which I love. It's a real chill-out sport for me. Um, so it would be a real shame to see it not come back, especially when other leagues seem to be doing everything they possibly can. So where do you think this goes then, Paul? What do you think they need to do? I, I think they need to sit in a room and actually work this out the players i mean if if you were I, they've tried to do it on a sort of step up salary level now depends what you're going to get paid if they're not going to go ahead at all i think you're better to have some baseball than none some of the players are supporting you know the minor league players cameron it comes down to one thing it comes down to money and if it's going to be easier for them and save the owners money and a lot of money then they could simply take it down that route it's money dictates, but you're going to have to pay back television contracts, the radio's in-house, um, so that's not so bad. But it's going to come down to weighing up the sums of money, and I, I think we will get an agreement. I think we're at that stage where people are are having, you know, they're playing hardball. We see it all the time in politics. You know, um, you go to an utter extreme, and then, then you work your position back in. I think that's where we are at the moment, although the brinksmanship, is getting there. Question is, though, Cameron, if it doesn't go ahead, who's more likely to get the blame? Is it going to be Ann Budge, Donald Trump, or the boogie? Because it'll be one of the three that get the blame. <laughs> right, yes, on that note. <laughs> <laughs> um, yes. I mean, this, this, you could blame on the sunshine as well, but you I could, don't think could. they will. You could. Yeah. Um, so, anything else? There's obviously a bit of chat. Uh, and I get your take on this one. Mitchell Trubisky has taken quarterback competition head on. What do you think that means? Uh, <laughs> um, it means somebody's come out and said, Mitch, you better pretend that you think you can win this job. And I'm presuming that's his agent. Th- th- this is one of these 
sort of long hot days of summer stories you know what do we expect Mitch Trubisky to come in and say you know oh well I'm, I'm the starter here but they signed Nick Foles so quite frankly I'm going to sit my feet up and take my, my salary for the year and be number two you know it's just, it's, just, it's a trope isn't it I mean it's a trope I mean it's, I think it's one of the leading stories on NFL.com and I'm sure the writer who, who forced themselves to sit at a keyboard to bang out these words must have been cringing as they did so it's a complete trope Cameron we're going to see these things everybody wants to fight for their job everybody you know he's a good you know a good quarterback I embrace the challenge go and ask Aaron Rodgers he doesn't embrace the challenge he doesn't want to be you know having somebody faffing about trying to get his job and I'm sure Mitch Trubisky feels exactly the same way. Yes, it's a, it's a, considering the off-season work's not even begun, what can he have possibly really have done to warrant the headlines? It is a trope. I, I don't believe it, personally. I, do you know what? Maybe when it, the time comes, maybe it's a rocket underneath him that he needs to get him going, and maybe he will embrace that challenge. But I've not seen anything from his seasons so far in the NFL to make me think that he's good enough to be the long-term answer in Chicago. I'm not sure that Nick Foles is either. But it definitely isn't Mitch Trubisky. So, um, yeah, if he loses that battle, then it won't be at the Bears for much longer. Speaking of Rockets, um, perhaps the most random story that struck me this week was Jacksonville Jag quarterback, backup quarterback, Josh Dobbs, has spent the off-season training in a unique second job. He's been an intern at NASA. And as <laughs> part of his internship, he was there for the SpaceX launch on Saturday, which sent a crew to the International Space Station. What's the most... (laughs) What a lovely story. Indeed. What's the most random job you've ever had? (laughs) Me? Uh, Well, the the most random professional gig I ever had was I was asked to do a charity match uh, between... uh, two football teams. I think one was one was a Hib Select, one was I think an Edinburgh Transport Select. And I did it as a favour for a friend of mine, but it was just a horrible gig to do because I had no idea who anybody was on the other team and teams were scoring goals and I had to do the big sort of PA announcement stuff. That that was slightly bizarre. Also, I mean the other thing I did was at the women's Scottish Cup final back in nineteen ninety six, the PA announcer didn't want to read out the teams. So I had to do it. I was there for Radio Scotland, uh, so I had to read out the teams. That that that's possibly the weirdest gig uh, that I've had. Others might come back to me, but certainly just off the top of my head, that's that's two of the weirdest ones. So I think the weirdest paid job I've ever had, and it's not that weird, I guess. Um, I was asked to bagpipe at an event in the in a restaurant in the village that I was from when I was young. There was uh, a local guy who brought over uh, friends from Ireland every year for the Six Nations. And they said, well, you come and play the bagpipes for us. Of course I did. Of course I did. So I went up, put all the regalia on, and it was absolutely sweltering. So I was just about to go out and start playing. And the guy in charge says, you don't need to wear all the stuff. It's roasting. Take it all off. Just play in your shirt and your kilt. So sure enough, down I went. Went out there, played for about 10 minutes. Um, and then they had a whip round for me. And I was only 15 at the time. Um, and I hope the tax man's not listening, uh, although even now, <laughs> it's probably not worth anything. But I got something like £180 cash for 10 minutes' work. I don't think I've ever been paid better for less time, and that was at the age of 15. So I'm trying to extrapolate that out. So six, ten minutes. So, so you normally charge, charge about a grand an hour. No wonder nobody asks you to play the pipe anymore. <laughs> 
<laughs> I was an, I peaked early. I peaked early, definitely. There's no two ways about it. Um, most random job. Um, I definitely think I tempt for a while. Um, <laughs> it was a case of I would do any job. I'll be perfectly honest. I'd come home from living down south. I was out of work, so was struggling to find something. It was about Christmas time, so there wasn't a lot going. So I went to a temp agency that just sent you out places for the day. It was two days wow. where they sent me out to Telford College, where I worked in the beauty therapy uh, department, folding towels um, in the laundry for the beauty therapy classes. I spent two full days folding towels. And my poor, <laughs> my poor father, who was a lecturer at Telford College in painting and decorating, had his son working at the college with him. A proud moment as we met in the canteen for lunch, only to tell him that I was there because I was folding towels. Not a highlight for me, I'll be perfectly honest. I'm not sure it was a highlight for him either. But still, <laughs> we had a good natter over lunch, and that's all that matters. Oh, so, brilliant. Yes. <laughs> anyway, on that note, that is the full-time whistle for episode 103. Thank you for taking the time to listen. Share your thoughts on this episode via Twitter, at ScotlandNFL, and on Facebook by searching for NFL Scotland. We're growing all the time. We need your help to keep that up. We appreciate every retweet and share. Love hearing your thoughts on what we've been discussing on the podcast. We've got plenty of podcasts coming up over the summer of months. We're also working on our plans for our events in Scotland for the season ahead. We'll have news on that coming very soon. Indeed, Cameron's been working hard with a few suppliers as well. That's a little tease. There's more to come there. Thanks to Derek Ray for joining us. Good luck to Derek for the season ahead once it gets going. Thank you for listening and taking the time to share your thoughts. We'll be back next week. But until then, bye for now.